1: From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Alex Kalanorkas and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to my latest episode, which is a preview of Formula E's two London e-pre races at the XL this weekend. It's been five years since the electric championship last had a round in its home city, with the last Battersea Park race taking place back in 2016 at the end of the series' second season, with Nico Prost, remember him, taking a pair of wins for the uh, for what was then the Renault E-Dams team, of course, and he said Nissan e that'd been terrible. Anyway, XL was supposed to join the calendar in the 2019-20 season last year, but could not because the venue was being used by the UK government as an emergency Nightingale hospital during the initial phase of the COVID-19 pandemic. And as Autosport podcast listeners will know, that season closed out with a run of six races at berlin's templehof airport track so joining me on the podcast today is autosports E correspondent matt q how are you matt
2: i'm very well thank you my last day uh in my flat in newcastle before heading down to the xl but no pesky uh pre-pcr tests or too much hotel isolation so looking forward to it
1: good and you'll be heading back to the south so you know that's something
2: although ironically compared to Roman valencia from newcastle this is a long haul trip for me so uh
1: well uh, as a as a resident and you know um well i was born and raised in east london let's face it you're, you're coming to my favorite part of the world but um but anyway i won't let, I won't let that put you off or put anybody else <laughs> off really uh, but anyway the main thing i should do is introduce uh, our next guest a special guest let's face it it's jaguar formula e driver who won the championship's most recent race last time out in new york it's sam bird how are you sam hi
3: everybody yeah very well thank you and yourself
1: all good, all good, Sam. And to be honest, I actually wanted to start with a bit of an ego trip uh, because my first question to you is, do you remember your first visit to the XL track uh, when you joined me to film a track guide for Autosport and your former team in Vision Virgin around the sort of access roads and the empty halls?
3: I do indeed. It was bizarre. I couldn't really picture it back then. Obviously, now I've done a lot of simulation. I can really see the circuit. But I remember sort of walking around car parks and and service roads of the excel and we were kind of talking about right so this corner does this and this corner does this and i was i was trying to give an insight but it was very very tricky to really see it in my mind and now obviously i've I've seen it and it's it's very clear and, and visible in my head but yeah i remember it well and then we did a a little um interview on a balcony didn't we overlooking the overlooking the river we did
1: we did that was just before you headed off to new york for what would have been that season's finale but i also do remember uh, the very first thing we got you to film by was basically the bin store of the xl it was like it's these days when you when you see it on saturday it's the downhill run in the the first sector
3: that that bit is quite interesting actually downhill breaking left right chicane it's quite a cool section
1: Things across the bins have been removed. I'm sure Formula E will have at least covered them up. Come the weekend, it's been ten days since your New York E Prix win. What have you been up to since then?
3: A lot of work, actually. Um, so I did some work outside of, of Formula e. I was at the, the Grand Prix doing a couple of interviews. I've done a lot of simulation. I've had a couple of media and PR days with Jaguar Racing. So I haven't really had very much time at all to get in loads of training or have a chill out. So yeah, it's it's been pretty flat out to be honest, and then the weather's just been so hot over the last um, couple of days that when you when you do get home, you don't want to do anything. It's too hot.
2: So I'm just to ask you a bit more on on that uh, New York City victory. So we have the double headers this season, and if you win on a Saturday, you only sort of have twelve, 12 hours to savor it before you're you're back and resetting. What was it like after such a High in New York City, where you have a bit longer, and let's face it, it was a, a really sort of commanding um, victory up front, where where you led every lap from pole. A win is a win; it doesn't
3: matter whether it's on day one or day two for me. Thankfully, I've, I've had enough of them now that you don't dwell on it and and reminisce on it for too long during the the season. We're ten days after the after the race, as as Alex said, and. You know, the next day after the event, you're you're really thinking about maybe a little bit of analysis on New York and what we can do better. But then the mindset is fully on on the next event and whether that's uh, race one of a race of a, of a two race weekend or as we've just had a ten day ten day break, um, my mind is is fully focused on and has been for a while now on London.
1: Sam I wanted to just um, just take you back and take the listeners back over the sort of the course of the season if you don't mind I think this is this is our first Formula E podcast that we've had in the autosport feed for for a fair while how has it been it's the first world championship for Formula E how has that changed things and also big season for you first season with Jaguar got off to an excellent start with that victory in Saudi Arabia but then it's been the it's been the classic Formula E campaign for everybody it's just full of ups and downs so yeah, yeah I wonder what's your thoughts on the season?
3: Full of ups and downs, is it? Pretty much sums it up. I think there's been a lot of potential. I think that we've showcased excellent race speed and race craft at times, but it just hasn't come together on a lot of occasions. Um, sometimes through my own making, sometimes through no fault of our own. It's been difficult at times, but the good thing is, is that the speed has not been in question, which is a uh, which is nice. It's not that I'm coming in. P13, P14 in races and scratching my head and wondering where the pace has gone. We've always had the pace to run at the front. And it's been circumstances that have stopped us scoring points on more occasions. When you look at all of the front runners, actually, everybody's had three, four, five DNFs or non-point scoring finishes. So I'm not the only one to be saying a lot of ifs and buts at the end of the year.
2: Sam, a question about about your season so far. So you, you won in Saudi, another another great try with your old teammate Robin Frines. But for people who look at the results, so, or for people who follow the season, they'll they'll have seen that before your win, you've had you've had some you know damage to the car. How much does that play in terms of turning around the fortunes overnight? Obviously, this qualifying system we have. How how not important is a is a crash, but how how pivotal is that crash or the crash the day before maybe been in your your successes the next day?
3: I felt like I was in a in a strong position to challenge for the win on on, on day one because we looked very, very quick, early, straight out of the blocks in pre-practice for day one. So what I did by clipping the inside wall that then sent me to the outside wall was certainly not ideal on day one. Um, Jaguar Racing did an amazing, remarkable job to actually get the car ready at all for qualifying i think we finished the car build with six seconds to go but it wasn't set up it, it was it was a car and it was it had front tires on and rear tires on it, but that's pretty much it it would go around the circuit but but it didn't have a setup on it um which meant that i qualified poorly for for race one we managed to do i think 10 minutes of setup prior to the race because there was still a lot of issues that needed to be ironed out with the car with this new build um But we managed to get ninth and fastest lap, which gave us a lot of confidence and hope going into day two, that we had a night to sit this car down and patch it properly and make sure that she was all singing or dancing for day two. And then, yeah, what happened on day two happened. So maybe the crash was a catalyst for it. But um, if you could ask me to do the weekend again, I'd certainly try and do it without the crash.
2: Win, wins in Saudi and, and New York City is certainly the highlight but a performance that stood out for me um, was Rome a double podium for uh, for Jaguar I think the first international double podium since uh, Autopolis in 1991 I'm sure uh, your colleague Adrian Atkinson will be fact checking me on that how satisfying a result was that because that was for the first time this season at that point that was a proper formally bumpy sort of, um, sort of not rough around the edges that sounds derogatory but sort of more um, unfurnished street track what we're used to
3: that's where Fort Marie I think that's where Formerie's home is, in the heart of city centres on these tight, twisty, narrow, bumpy street circuits that I think Fourmerie viewers have come to love and enjoy. Um because of the pandemic we've had to go further afield at times and obviously we fit we've we visited Puebla and Valencia this season. Our car at Jaguar Racing is is more suited to the likes of Rome, the likes of Monaco. Maybe here in London, New York, for example. So, um, yeah, those other ones have been difficult weekends for us. But, yeah, going back to Rome, an amazing event, uh, especially on the first race for for Jaguar Racing. We started just outside of the top 10, I think, or maybe I started 10th from Group 1, which wasn't terrible considering Group 1, but then to fight through in the race and and fight through so well against some, some massive names in the sport conserving the energy at the same time and fighting up to second and I genuinely thought at one point I could have a go at Jev but you know when you you have started so low down and you find yourself there, uh, there's, there there comes a point where you have to take the points um, then the safety car came out and uh, that was that. Jev, Jev obviously did a great job winning the race, it was a shame for Lucas um, but amazing to get both myself and Mitch on the podium, we both carved our way up and showcased what the Jaguar car can do.
2: And when you say the Jaguar car is more suited to a typical street circuit, what what does that mean? So is that sort of the acceleration out of these more sort of typical ninety degree corners?
3: I can't tell you too much. I think that our our philosophy on car setup and how we have evolved our software means that we are more competitive. We're still competitive on the other ones, but we're more competitive When it comes to these tighter circuits, that's for sure.
1: And Sam, how has it been sort of adapting that package to the less bumpy, tighter tracks? Has it been a case of alternating your work in the simulator, changing things ever so slightly, or is it just a case of, ah, we know it's not going to go quite so well on these types of tracks, but we'll just sort of do the best that we can?
3: I think the more we've run on them, the more we've understood them. Um, And if we were to redo the races, tomorrow we'd be more competitive than we than we showcased in Valencia and Puebla um, we've taken an awful lot away from those events um, some good some bad and yeah there's no reason why we can't Competitive on those circuits is just that we weren't as competitive as what we wanted.
1: And I'm always curious about how this works at Formula E events, especially the the double headers. You know, say say for instance you've had a bad Saturday or, or the Saturday's been difficult. What what goes on in those debriefs when you know you've got another chance? exactly the next day, you know, I mean, even like Formula One when they did their sort of very rare doubleheaders because of the pandemic, they've got a whole week where they go through all the numbers. But in Formula E, it's still quite it's still very time pressured, as is the nature of the series. So what do you do on those Saturday nights when you put a doubleheader? What would you perhaps you be doing in London?
3: Um, to be honest, I do the same thing whether we've won or whether we've had a DNF or whether we've had a bad result, whether we were quick, slow, whatever. Um we just do a thoroughly professional debrief. To be honest, we say what we've got to say, we say what pleased us, and then there's normally a longer period where we're speaking about the things that we need to improve. Because why do we need to speak about the things that we've done brilliantly or well for too long? We can we can park them and keep on doing those aspects well, not not neglect them, but continue to do them well. But then we need to focus our attentions on the aspects that need to be improved. And yeah, there, there, there were aspects of the New York weekend that we needed to improve, ready for London. And, and after the race, we were in there straight away. I think I ran back at half time of the, of the final to do my debrief because there were some things that we needed to speak about. Just because it might have looked like a light supply of victory um, doesn't mean that there weren't things that we could, we could try and do better.
2: That debrief coming after I think my media colleague, Sam Smith, had to hold up a notepad, uh, with Luke Shaw's name on it after we heard, heard like celebrations from the press conference that overlapped with the, the champagne sippers next door. I, I have another question about this season, Sam. 11 or if we've got 15 races, 11 of them have been on tracks that have been changed or completely new, so well, it's different corners in Saudi, full Grand Prix, course, in Monaco, Valencia. You know, how, how much have teams had to think on their feet when they only get, you know, sort of a, a two-week sort of, uh, period to, to work on the FIA data on, and to prepare the Sims?
3: BOMER is all about thinking on your feet. And going, going back to even Monaco, we'd done three or four days on the simulator prior to Monaco with a very high-speed right-hand turn one. At Sanderpot San was just a tiny breathe on the breath and throw it in high speed right hander up the hill and it was only when we got to Monaco that I would got off the flight that they then changed the layout back to what is the normal Formula 1 layout so it's always evolving and changing and it's how you adapt and you know we've got a uh, sim, sim driver um, reserve drivers helping us you know, we've got people back at the factory working non stop to try and get us good data, good feedback. So it's a team effort, um, and they help us evolve as the weekend goes on. But yeah, it's it's very difficult in this championship. I think Formula One, the the changes are given a lot sooner and there's there's less changes as the weekend progresses, whereas Formula E stuff can, can happen all the time.
2: A question I also have for you, and it's a topic I've been following throughout the season. We've got, you know, uh, the penultimate season of Gen 2 Powertrain's performance has really converged this season, and that's put quite a bit of spotlight, uh, quite a bit of the spotlight on this qualifying format we have, where you know, uh, you guys or you going into London, top six of the championship, you have to set your laps first on this this green surface that hasn't been rubbed in, and so you can often plonk yourselves at the back of the grid despite doing a, a really sound lap. So, you know, when you have these. Debris with you know the fills with the massive brains how much do you go this is where we need to improve this is just the nature of the formary format we have right now
3: most of us drivers that have been fighting at the front for a few years now and not necessarily the biggest fans of the current format but it is what it is it's the same it's the same every week it's the same for everybody if you're in the top six you get the worst track um i can't change it now if we could look into something new then that would be great i think something that's a little bit fairer it's served its purpose well for a period of time but i now think the period of time is it's time for something new and, and for us to try something something different
2: and when you've contested every single Formula E race can you have maybe a bit more of a say or or a steer or feedback to the fia formulary e when they try and change that format
3: I've been speaking to them and a couple of us drivers who have, um, us elder spokesmen now, have been speaking to the powers that be about what we feel would be exciting for the show. Um, Because at the end of the day, we're entertainers. We want to entertain the people at home and we want to entertain the crowd at the track. And we need to come up with something that works in terms of timing, but also works in terms of fairness and equality for everybody in the field. We want to have a grid that showcases the best cars at the front not a complete lottery like we see i think that also the manufacturers it's difficult to explain to the powers that be at these manufacturers that because we're doing well in the championship we've qualified 17th and 18th because some people don't quite understand that and and i think that for that reason we need to move to a different format
1: and sam we're heading into the final four races of the season you're leading the championship You've been in title fights before, but you know they were in the, the, the sort of the early season of the championship when this sort of this this group format system, and I know it was around back then, but it wasn't quite as pivotal in terms of that's the reason why you've had so many sort of different race winners in Formula E over the last few seasons. So, what are your tactics when it comes to leading the points in a championship that can just swing one way massively to the other? How do you how do you approach these last four races?
3: I'm not thinking about the championship yet at all. I don't think it's the kind of season where you can. I think in other formulas, I think you can, absolutely, because there's more of a pecking order. And by this point in the championship, in most other formulas, there might be two or three guys that you would say, right, they're going for the title and those are my main rivals. You look at where I was prior to the New York weekend and where I am now, how can you judge who the champion is going to be? How can I judge who my main rivals are? I think I might know who will be there at the end of the season, but you just don't know. I mean, it it really might come down to who wins the race in race two in Berlin. So all I can do is do my best. If I can leave London knowing that the team has operated at 100% of their capability and I've operated at 100% of mine and and I've delivered in every aspect, whether that be both qualies and both races, I know that on my day, that can be enough to score some very strong points. And then we go to Berlin and we see.
2: Sam, there's obviously a sense in in any mode sport that to be successful, you have to be consistent. But in Formula E, is there any sort of, you know, is there any ground into a theory that you can set yourself up to have a bad day because that means a day after you you stand a better chance of having a good day? Or is that just, you know, too much of a risk, whether you're first in the championship or, or last?
3: We've actually seen. In New York, this exact thing playing out in race one, there was a situation where one specific team dropped swapped their drivers around on the last lap of the race so that one driver would drop out of group one and into group two, ready for day two. But then they got caught out because it started to spit with rain in on day two in, in group two qualifying. So this kind of thing, yeah, the tactics are quite, crazy really nobody really wants to be in group one so if it's a choice between coming p10 on the day and then that keeps you in group one or dropping out of the points and that would mean you're in group two for the next day I think most drivers in the championship would would say I'd prefer to have a no points score on that day ready for hopefully a bigger return on the second day
1: but it's not just uh, the Drivers' Championship. You've got a sort of... I, I appreciate you're not thinking about it at the moment because of, you know, take things one one race, even one session at a time in Formula E. But for Jaguar, five points off the lead in the Constructors' Championship, which is being led by your former team, Envision Virgin Racing. So in, 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 a, in a funny way, how are you feeling about that battle?
3: It's massive. It's massive. This is what Jaguar have been looking for since they joined in Season 3. As you guys have seen, Jaguar have improved every single year, step by step. They've moved up the pecking order. I think season three was a difficult learning curve for them. Um, And I was was already speaking to them back then in season three, but watching how they progressed throughout the years, Mitch then coming so close to me in Rome season four, season five, picking up their first win in Rome, season six, dominating in, in Mexico with Mitch and then, literally carving his way through the field in Marrakesh. And, and at that point, I was like, wow, this, this car, this this team, they've, they've really got something going. I'd love to join this team. Um, anyway, yes, Jaguar racing, it would mean the world to every single person there because, uh, you know, we're running currently, we're, we're seventh in the pit lane and we don't deserve to be there. We need, we, we need to be running at the front of this pit lane. And I think that every single person there has worked so hard, it would be just reward to, to, to try and bring home a, a top-line finish in this Manufacturers Championship, because we certainly, I think, have the car for it.
1: And Sam, I wondered if you could just explain to the listeners, what's been the biggest difference that you've noticed going from a private privateer team... Back to a manufacturer team. Obviously, you had that sort of status with Virgin when it was running the DS powertrains. And I remember the early, the early days of the Gen Two era when it was an Audi customer. You guys suddenly lost all that, all that private manufacturer testing and the, the things that the manufacturers were able to do. So, what's been the biggest thing that you've noticed coming to a big manufacturer like Jaguar?
3: I think just the resources that are available. I didn't realize how not handicapped Envision Virgin Racing are, but um, you know, Jaguar we we can do things that simply a a privateer team cannot and that's quite a big thing for me we can extract just that little bit extra which is which is super um obviously envision virgin racing do a, a a very solid job with with the resources that are on hand to them i think it's also helping now that we are in the third year of this particular car so everything is it's not new anymore whereas when when something's new and you're a privateer it's tough like you really feel like you are handicapped now everybody's had 30 35 races under their belt with this um with with this gen 2 format and this car so i think that the performance difference is is very very small now but we do have the resources on hand to
0: to do some cool
1: stuff. And just on those those small differences, Sam, It's, it's a very famous thing in Formula E, how, how fine all the margins are. How good is it to be heading back to London? A little bit different than what Formula E imagined when this XL track was revealed a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, you know, because of the pandemic, it's not going to be packed with the, the, the home crowd like, like the Formula 1 race was last year, purely because indoor venue for much of it at the xl but how good is it for you and the team to be to be having a home race for a change
3: yeah it is it is amazing i mean when you say indoor venue we've got to drive into it so it's it's indoor but there is ventilation so um i'm i'm sad for the british public that they can't come to this i think it would have been an incredible event and we could have quite easily had twenty, thirty thousand people per day here um you know, if Wimbledon can run with the roof on, then. But look, it's going to be an incredible event. I hope that we can create some a great spectacle. We will have a couple of thousand VIPs, I think, here, and and uh, my family are coming. So I need to do well, otherwise I'm going to hear not hear the end of it.
1: You have good memories of uh, of racing in Formula E in London. Were you not a, a race winner in that very first uh, very first race at Battersea Park back in 2015?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I won, I won Battersea back in season one. I've won home races at Silverstone multiple times in uh, LMP2, in GP2, Formula 3, um, World Series by Renault. I've won on home soil quite a few times. So it's something that I enjoy doing and i dearly love to pick up a home win for a British manufacturer. We haven't raced at home since, I think, for 17 years. Jaguar hasn't raced at home, so... If I can bring it bring it home for, for Jaguar as a British driver, it would mean a lot.
1: Yeah, actually, I can remember sitting in a, a grandstand overlooking Woodcut and looking down to Brooklands at Silverstone in 2013 when you won the GP2 feature race, Sam. That was an excellent experience. I was just out of university, saved up all my money to go to the, see the Formula 1 race, and I was sticking around to see all the racing that I could.
3: I got held up by Johnny Toccato in that race and because me and him had some priors from earlier on in the season because uh, I don't know why. But... Uh, sometimes tended to put his helmet on and take a break <laughs> out I felt but um, yeah I, I just was so super careful behind him and all of a sudden I think it was Mitch actually Mitch and a couple of the others caught me up and then I was under a little bit of pressure because before that I was out on my own and then Chicotto pitted and, and it was okay but yeah I remember that race very well nice race. I do like how
1: racing drivers can remember all that all those details all those details but um but Sam you mentioned the sort of there is an indoor outdoor element to this XL circuit when you know when we walked around it you know as I said you're going up and down access roads there's one at the end that's that's really quite steep I think in that video that we recorded but you can still watch it on YouTube I checked it out the other day it's got 33,000 views now which is which is pretty good what will that sort of indoor outdoor change how much will that be a factor for, for, for the Formula E cars?
3: Maybe a factor because there's gonna be a big grip change, isn't there? And that where the where the building actually starts is kind of right at the apex of a right hand at the second last corner. So the formula Former Re have had to remove five millimeters of the concrete base in within the XL building, and then they've added like this polymer surface that's like a sandy paint high grip stuff. You're gonna go from tarmac to this at an apex with a lot of lateral loading what's that going to do to the tire what's that going to do to the front end of the car is the front end going to grip and then the rear is not going to be able to cope with it or are you going to be able to carry more speed than you would have initially thought on the tarmac because then you'll be able you'll get the grip later on in the corner if it rains which is looking likely at points over the weekend what's that surface going to be like And it'll also be dry at the beginning when it's wet, but then we'll bring the wet indoors. Also, when it rubbers up, are we going to lose that kind of surface, that sandiness? Rubber will go down. And then what happens when rain goes on that? There's all these elements to this indoor bit that are very exciting that we will get to know the answers probably Friday evening.
2: Right down to the details, Sam. When you go from outdoor to indoor, which you know, I think I think will be floodlit. Does that even compromise or change what what visor you might use, what tint you might use? I mean, how how really sort of deep into the details does do you, do you get with these things to plan ahead?
3: I'll probably just wear the, the normal visor that I would normally wear. It's uh, Bell supply some great visors. Um, I think for this event, I will stick with the the oil based one. Um, but it's like a light one. So it's the one that I wore actually in Saudi Arabia in the night race. It still gives you protection from the sun, but gives you the same effect as if you wore a light smoked visor.
2: Hopefully then we'll get some of those really cool sort of uh, camera sleigh moes where you can sort of see see into the driver's into the driver's helmet and sort of see their piercing eyes and look at the apex that'd be good, yeah absolutely, absolutely <laughs> what have you learned about the the London E-Prix? I mean you said you said Monaco, you got off the plane, there it's a different corner, we've not only had a fairly fairly substantial track um, modifications for London we've got a, a different sequence uh, the hairpin sequence in the middle sector which now coincidentally looks like the Formula E which I uh, found amusing, got hairpins and uh, final chicanes what, what have the symptoms revealed on that? I mean, we've also had an energy change. Perhaps you can talk listeners through that, whether it, it might be a slightly quicker Formula E race than we usually get.
3: I think that the energy change was definitely needed. Basically, guys, normally we run with 52 kilowatts of energy for the period of the race. They've reduced that for the first time in Formula E's history to 48 kilowatts because the race would have been too close to flat out. And then it's... It's not entertaining or exciting for anybody. We want to showcase the drivers that are seriously quick, but also good and competitive when it comes to energy saving and energy management. And that wouldn't have been the case if um, if we hadn't reduced it. Now there is an amount of energy saving, probably still nowhere near as much as some other circuits. It's not an energy sensitive circuit at all, unlike Valencia, Puebla, Marrakesh, some of those other ones that tend to be longer with more time on full throttle. So there's a lot of corners here as well. It's 22 corners here, and no real high-speed corners. It's all very stop-start, tight, twisty stuff, which I think will suit the Jaguar racing car. Um, will we see an exciting race? I hope so, but time will tell.
2: Some people have gone the other side of that and thought, right, lots of maybe. Um you know spare bit of energy so instead of waiting two laps to build up this really precise overtake to to dive down the inside of my rival if I've got a little bit to spare maybe I can go for it this corner or or the next corner there's not that sense of sort of waiting in the wings and that might lead to crashes safety cars and more safety cars you know is that is that a school of thought you can see happening
3: yeah this race could go either way but every race in Formula E can go that way can't it you can have a really strategic race that we've seen in the past um, where it's it is a, a green race all the way through but you see changes for the lead and you see people trying to build up a buffer of energy and then use it at different times different strategies on attack modes or you can have the completely bonkers crazy races where people are in walls people are overtaking there's madness going on everywhere um and you and it it doesn't really have a system or make sense when or where that happens it's just a consequence of who's racing who at what time around what corners
1: Sam, the race is going to be live on Channel 4 in the UK uh, this weekend. Formula E and TV, especially in the UK, hasn't always been the easiest thing to, to find with the, the, the deals and the schedules and things like that. But what can the viewers expect to see if there's any listeners who haven't watched the Formula E race before? As you say, you don't know quite if it's going to be a tactical affair or an all out crazy, mad Formula E race, which is what I always remember from my years covering the championship. But in terms of watching the championship for the first time, what would viewers? Uh, what can viewers expect this weekend?
3: So if you are uh, viewing Formulary for the first time, firstly, welcome. I hope you enjoy it. Um, but you are in for 45 minutes plus a lap of great entertainment. We we, we aim to entertain in this series. Um, you will see a lot of overtakes. You will see strategic battles up and down the paddock. You will see uh, elite... World-class drivers showcasing electric mobility in the heart of a city centre. What better place to do it than London and in and around the Excel, literally in and around the Excel. You get to see some very futuristic looking single-seaters in close proximity to each other showcasing all electric technology
1: you certainly do and let's hope when the when the fans are finally allowed back and Formulae's big plans for that london event uh, can go ahead i know for a couple of years they were talking about like laser light shows and big like big concerts going on in that massive massive space remember what sam when you and i filmed in that empty hall it just it was like wow they're going to get you could have, almost have an entire race in one of those halls but uh, but no it's going to be fantastic this weekend well sam that's uh that's our podcast for today thank you very much for coming on and good luck for this weekend
3: Pleasure, thank you, guys. Thanks cheers, me. Sam,
1: and of course, cheers, Matt. Uh, well, listeners, thank you very much. As I said, that is our podcast for today. But before we go, here's what you can see right now on Autosport Plus. There's my column on the off-track factors that led to Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen colliding during the British Grand Prix. Jonathan Noble has assessed F1's sprint race experiment now a full weekend with the format as played out. And Tom Howard guides you through all the action from Rally Estonia. And of course, head to Autosport.com to read all of Matt's reports and news stories from the two London Formula E races this weekend and check out his full report of the event in next week's Autosport magazine. New Autosport Plus subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page, then use promo code podcast for that 50% discount. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back soon.
0: Thank
1: if you served in the Vietnam, Gulf War, or post-9-11 eras, you may be eligible for expanded VA benefits. A new law known as the PACT Act provides disability compensation, health care, free toxic exposure screenings, and more to veterans who are exposed to toxins during their military service. You can submit a claim for your PACT Act-related benefits now. Claims received by August 10, 2023 may be paid back to August 10, 2022. Visit va.gov p-a-c-t to learn more and file your claim.